I always love when that happens. Just when eat a cupcake. Yeah, you just ate a cupcake. And we're trying to get room tone, and you're like. <laughs> well, on that note, hey Susanna. Hey Tubby. <laughs> How you doing? Wait, you're not gonna put that in the podcast, oh, I'm definitely are you? Putting that Don't in the put that in the podcast. One hundred percent putting that in the podcast. <sighs> I mean, I think if your if your tummy growl was like a part of the room tone, it's gonna get sampled out. But now I've just memorialized it forever. Great. Yeah, you're welcome. Well, congratulations, tummy. Now you have a podcast too. <laughs> tummy with our special guest podcast host, Susanna's, Susanna's stomach, <laughs> Susanna's digestive tract. Wonderful. Oh, uh, welcome this to the intro solar spill. Is really going well. <laughs> yeah, welcome to the solar spill, y'all. Let's get right down to it. I wanted to talk to you about the New York Times opinion piece that got published Ooh, which last one, which week, one? end of August, titled, Worrying About Your Carbon Footprint is Exactly What Big Oil Wants You to Do. Oh my god! I'm so glad the New York Times has finally caught up. To our podcast? Yeah, I know, right? They're avid listeners. And it was, <laughs> since I was doing my Michael Barbaro, right? He was like, yes. listen guys, we either sick our lawyers on these guys or we just steal content You're from like, them. uh, this is a good, should we just, let's. Let's do this one. It's, Let's this do this topic. Happened a number of times in my career, not even as a podcaster, when you like have an idea, but then like someone bigger and more important like right. gets to it, picks it first. Up. Yeah. yeah. And you're like, I, I think some people are very discouraged that. Right. But I actually love kind of getting scooped on. Like, because if someone else like does the same thing that you did, especially like the New York Times, you're kind of like, cool, we, we might be on to something yeah i mean also like it's not it's not as if we had those thoughts first oh, we no. were also reading articles from other people with the same ideas so it's kind of <laughs> i feel like you know with climate science and we're all kind of in the same soup of ideas and... totally so i guess we have two guest podcasts hosts. we have your stomach and my ego <laughs> <laughs> but i guess my ego is always in the room i was about to say i yeah. think we have one of those as a guest every episode word up well we are trendsetters then if nothing else we are we're trendsetters you know and i think what's cool too about seeing that opinion piece is that uh you know all this stuff is always evolving it's adapting we're learning more the conversation is moving and changing and it was all about carbon footprint and now more and more people are realizing that was a trick of the oil industry mm -hmm. played on us to make us feel responsible for the system that we didn't design that's right. causing climate change. Exactly. You know, so it's like we're learning more every day. The movement's talking points are changing. We're, we're evolving. We're adapting. And that's, that's what I want to talk about today is adaptation. Oh, my God. Maybe the best, like, intersection of Meryl Streep and Nick Cage movie of all time. <laughs> I mean, as a screenwriter, that movie is near and dear to my heart, I will admit. But I think it's like a, it's like a screenwriter's movie. Adaptation yes. is a phenomenal screen. It's like a movie for screenwriters. It is. And it so is. now our next podcast is about... <laughs> Let's get right into it. <laughs> Let's do it. Okay, so this week I found an article over on Arch Daily, which is all about architecture, and they are just ripping into this idea of new green building, and the article's full of so many zingers. It's so good. I just, I had to share it. Oh, yeah, wait, like architectural zingers. This is like, I know. It's like accountants making <laughs> like jokes about math. I have no idea. Okay, but like, okay, let's back up. Okay, what is, for our, for our, you know, listeners, what is a green building? You know, green buildings sound like a great thing. 
at SunCommon, we love green buildings and we love working with builders and architects who create green buildings. I think a large part of what we do, um, not only in our residential program, but in our like commercial and like commercial business is like about, you know, giving architects, builders and designers our stable of knowledge and experience so you can like better integrate. Oh, I think we may have done like an episode on this like I was about to say many, that. many moons ago about planning. Don't listen your, to yeah, it. Don't listen to it. We're way better now yes. at podcasting. But no, I mean, <laughs> like, so yeah, t- tell me like what's, why Zingers? Why are they ripping up this idea of green building? Right. I mean, we love green building. That's true. But the article is talking about this new idea of green building because like we're always adapting right climate science is evolving recommendations are evolving all this stuff's changing all the time what's best to do today maybe not what's best to do tomorrow right like it's always changing and what's interesting is the u.s green building council has made resilience part of its latest recommendations so their notion of what a green building is is changing and evolving and this this latest recommendation is more or less recommending to build houses that will help us adapt to changing climates. Ah, that makes a lot of sense and that sounds really good. I can see why, especially on the heels of, you know, super storms and crazy weather events that are accelerated, it makes a lot of sense that resilience is such a huge theme right now. Yes, totally agree. Um, resiliency is good. However, what they're talking about is setting up green homes to be resilient to climate change. They're, so they're saying, mm. It's not looking good for us. You know, climate change is happening. It's time to talk about adaptation. It's not just mitigation. Where previous green building standards really were about, okay, we have to fight climate change. Now it's, it's about, okay, let's be resilient. We need to adapt. Our buildings need to be much more resilient in the face of unpredictable weather. Sea levels are rising. So if your house is on the coast, we better build your house a seawall. Maybe one day you won't have energy for AC, so let's make sure your window's open. It is about adding these different recommendations to make sure that as the climate changes, your house will still function and be a safe shelter for you. Okay, it's, this is, on the face, it's all sounding good. So what's the problem? Yes, it does sound good. And there's a group of architects working under this philosophy, and they're now designing homes with features like generators saying they're green because they can help your house be resilient hold up, hold up. like like gas powered generators um yes oh what? my god lols gas power generators let that one sink in that's ridiculous <laughs> so okay okay that's that's insane so they're saying that like a green building should now include essentially a, a gas guzzling unregulated small engine generator yes lovely yeah they're calling this like new environmentalism like being ready for climate change and there's just i mean there's just so many things wrong with this thinking like first of all what powers a gas powered generator uh fossil fuels (laughs) (laughs) which (laughs) let's just assume for a moment we're in the future where one of two scenarios is playing out so either we've made a successful transition to clean energy and we all use that now so gas isn't really a thing right or scenario two, we're in a hellish dystopia where we haven't made that transition and gas is super expensive and it's really hard to get because our society has collapsed. Um, and in either case, how are you going to fuel your backup generator with gas? And let me just hold for a second because it doesn't even require societal collapse for gas prices to rise. Like I'm, Agreed. Like, you know, here we are back at the pump, right? With you know, our American sort of society in a, well, now it seems like we're kind of getting careful and not shutting down again, but slowing down again. But 
this like hot vac summer that we had was obviously just with basic human activity of people getting back on roads again, gas prices precipitously started rising again. You know, and as we destabilize further, you know, foreign governments and places where oil is collected and sometimes comes from, that too should have an effect upon gas prices. So we don't need full-on dystopia for gas prices to rise. This is just my true. There is a there is a third future scenario there. Thank you for reining me in. Sure, sure. <laughs> <laughs> it's wild when I get to rein you. I in. know it is. I just want to hold a little it's, space for that. Happening no, it's right fun. Now. I like that. Okay. I like this switch that's happening. <laughs> Okay, but furthermore, the solution to our climate change problems are systemic. We need big sweeping policies, though, that everyday people don't have to make the decision to do this for themselves and figure it out themselves. It's great when people can do that and have access to it. But to really solve the problem, it needs to to not be a choice that individuals make. Clean energy simply needs to be the energy system that is available to everyone by default. But... If you've got a backup generator, the responsibility for being okay is back on you as an individual. Oh, sure, yeah. Which is also what that New York Times opinion piece is kind of reiterating, you know? Like, this isn't on us as individuals. We need the whole system to change. And then here's this greenhouse, but it's not prepping you for a clean energy future where the systems around you support you using clean energy. It's helping you individually, uh, you know, try to try to be okay with this generator that you now have to find fuel for. But it's not helping you even individually use clean energy. You're just back on your own trying to find fuel for this thing. Yeah. That's what really gets me just about this like simple equation that you've laid out. Even holding space for the apocalypse, right? Like, even if we're considering something <laughs> as crazy as societal collapse. And not crazy, like it can't happen just like so far, so far from what we're living in now. Like if we're considering that as a potential model, you know, that's being borne out, unfortunately, by the science. What gets me really is, yeah, it's why would we then create a system of reliability based on the very fossil fuels that are not just exacerbating the problems of climate change, but becoming harder and harder to extract, hold, and distribute to this population at a fair price. It really is putting a privilege on reliance, which is like exactly. a really hardcore, horrible equation to set us, set us up for as a society, moving into whatever model of future we're going into. But like get solar and a battery, and then you're actually generating your fuel. Get something, the narrative of me going solar has put this idea in my head of like, I'm gonna have a power plant on my roof and it's gonna be generating clean energy and I'll be able to store it. I've generated it on site, which is remarkable and gives me a great sense of reliance when like bad rain and windstorms have knocked power up multiple times this month. Anyway, yes, yes, yes. <laughs> exactly. And side note, you just made me think of this, that the diesel engine was initially invented so that farmers could grow their own fuel mm. for their diesel tractors. Oh, wow. Yeah. And then the, the whole biodiesel thing. Right. And then the petroleum industry was like, nope, we'll make diesel for you. I almost forgot that you were a total gearhead for a while. Yes, I ran the Bard College Biodiesel Cooperative. That's really cool. My senior year. Yeah. Glad you, <laughs> glad you jumped ship to the renewable sector. Yeah, I mean, biofuels have their own whole... That could be a whole other podcast. We might do that. I digress. Yes. I totally agree with you. Self-reliance is a good thing. And, you know, in theory, green building would encourage PV, which is another name for solar, and energy storage and insulation, low-carbon building materials, buying locally, mm. all these kinds of things that help us mitigate climate change right now and create healthy net zero buildings that are resilient. 
And in general, that means using less, building smaller, being efficient. But the resiliency model often means doing more, spending more, using more resources. Oh, I see. So it's about adding extra stuff to your house. So resiliency is like, it's the same house. And now let's just like add more features. You need, it looks like you need a seawall. Let's get <laughs> right, some like exactly. escape hatch windows. <laughs> like, yeah, how much, like, how much do you think a seawall actually costs? Yeah, like, I, I mean, again, know. further stratifying the privilege here. It's like, oh yeah, yeah. if you can't afford our seawall package, you just drown. Right. In your home. Yes. I also, I have to quote this from the article because it's such a good zinger. So quote, being green is about using less. Being resilient is almost always about using more. Or as Eric Corey Freed, a California architect and the author of half a dozen books on green design put it to me, quote, green buildings seek to be efficient. Resilient buildings seek to be redundant, end quote. Sick burn. Like what a sick sick burn. Sick architecture burn. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Like I feel feel it on the face. Yes. But I hope some architect is just like, literally like, oh God. Like, oh God. I, we're going to put the, the link to the article in the podcast description. I hope everybody checks it out because there are quite a few good singers in there that we have not covered. But I just, I love the optimism in this too, that resilient buildings. So those that are planning for big climate changes, climate apocalypse, they're seeking to be redundant because we're going to fix this thing. And then all those buildings with their unnecessary seawalls and ridiculous gas powered generators, they will be useless. Like, they are hoping that they will be redundant and useless. And yeah, I mean, that, that does speak to a lot of people, though. Like, even if you don't use it, it's nice to know it's there. That's the entire promise of insurance. Like, right. Especially in this, like, Western American system. It's like, insure everything yes. just in case. A monthly fee for your peace of mind. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, and that's true. And that's why solar and storage make so much sense. Mm-hmm. It's clean energy. It's part of the future system. It helps you be independent and resilient while also mitigating climate change. Okay, okay. So I feel like okay, one one very real takeaway for our listeners and ourselves to continue to be on guard for greenwashing. Yes. To build your own resilience to greenwashing. And if you have to buy something powered by fossil fuels, it might not actually be part of the solution. I mean, I'd say practically in like, you know, 80, 90% of the cases, it's probably not a part of the solution. Yeah, no, I think that's a really good flag, especially as climate change enters more of the mainstream conversation and more people start to feel it's inevitable and turn to adaptation as opposed to prevention. Mm -hmm. You know, there's going to be so many products and businesses seeking to help people feel better about adapting to the uncertain climate future. Mm. Absolutely. Actually, you know, that reminds me, we had this other New York Times article circulating in our team's like chat this week. And it was about a family that moved to Vermont 30 years ago, wildly kind of predicting all of the climate change and all the things that are kind of happening in the news cycle right now and wanting to get away from the sort of symptoms and the terrors, let's say, of climate change. Start a homestead and be resilient, like all up in the sort of shires of Vermont, as they call it. Nice. And are, are they doing it? Did it work? No. Oh. <laughs> uh, it was started as an off-grid place, but now the sort of the homestead of the property is on-grid. Everything has grown up around them. So all of like their Vermont community has grown up around them. They're not in a super remote place anymore. They were trying to build this future to get away and be safe and independent and alone. And here comes the future invading and barreling down the lane towards them. It's like the future, here we are. 
did, yeah. you, did you make pancakes? Like... <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> knock, knock. It's not opportunity. It's the future. Right. Right. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we can't escape the future, right? It's like we may go to be alone and resilient somewhere that feels, you know, more remote today, but that's actually pretty impractical, actually. Yeah. And, and in this case, the case of the family that moved up there in the Times article, the, the kids actually had to sell the farm. Like the kids who grew up on oh my they sold the farm. So it's not, it's like not even in their family anymore. That's so heartbreaking as a parent who is, I'm, you're probably thinking about this too, but I've been thinking about like, what things do I want to teach my kids or like, how do I set them up so that in, you know, 20, 30, 40 years time, they will be well prepared for anything that, that comes forward. And I'm sure that that family thought that same thing. And then it's like their kids have to sell the farm. They have to like, yeah. I mean, I'm sure that the the family had reasons that that made sense for them, but I could imagine the parents just being so heartbroken that all their hard work to set up their kids actually even just ended up leaving their family in the end. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, look, there's a lot of that going around these days. Even our, our parenting and the climate crisis episode, you know, no matter how much we can prepare for the future, we have to reconcile with the sort of existential truth that it's not going to be in a better position than we inherited it from our parents. And I think in that kind of inevitable, inevitable, like downer, I look to inspirations, maybe even outside of this category to like help me find an angle that I can feel good about. Yes. And, let's end on a positive note. Yeah. Well, and this is, a, this is kind of a left field one because um, I might, we might do like a bonus episode on this. There's an album that I really love uh, by a band called The Knife. Mm. And the knife are just this awesome, like, icy, cold, like, futuristic, electronic duos, brother and sister. And their last album as the knife was called Shaking the Habitual. And the thesis statement was, like, railing against hyper-wealth, hyper-capitalism, but also contained a lot of really strong thematics and messages, both around, like, gender politics and identity, but also about climate change. And there's this wonderful song in the album called Ready to Lose. And I won't go too far into it, because I think we could do a whole episode on it, but the song is about being ready to lose a privilege Mm. and about the choices that we can make from positions of privilege about which ones of those while they all serve us and buttress our position of privilege which ones are we willing to let go of now while we have the choice and while we can do it in a proactive way that continuously strives to redistribute that privilege among a larger group of people so while you might lose that privilege can you do it are you ready to take that change in that step now because I am a firm believer, this is my personal politics, like the opinions I'm about to express are not held by anybody but me, maybe, you know? I wish more people would. Like, I think if you give, if you are generous with those privileges, you end up receiving something more valuable back. And it might be a strengthening or a true resilience of the community that you live Mm. in. And that, I mean, historically, sociologically, politically, every specialist of every academic discipline could tell you a stronger community is better resilience for all yes like you could have your magical privileged castle in the middle of a serfdom and eventually you will be destroyed by that privilege so are you ready to you know like i think about that song as a prompt for me especially vis-a-vis my relationship with the future through my children what can i give up now not just to like say i swear it off but what can i like use my power and my privilege to break off from myself and hand out like a hunk of bread, 
hand out like something that I have extra of to offer. And anyway, that's just one angle. Let's do a side episode about it maybe someday. <laughs> but I wanted to end on a positive note if I could. Yeah, no, I appreciate that. Like I feel like I feel like capitalism so often pushes us towards buying something as the solution and these, you know, very silly sort of new green building guidelines would, you know, reinforce that of like, yes, go buy a gas powered generator in your seawall. <laughs> Go buy a seawall. I love being able to say that. It's so horrifying and ter- and like funny yes. at the same time. I'm yes. buy a seawall. But it, yeah, in reality, it's like the things that are the most important to invest in that will actually make us resilient are are not things you can really commodify. It is things like community and sharing and diversification and efficiency. It's not about going away on your own and buying a generator for your castle, like you're saying, <laughs> so, yeah, you know, and then like putting your head in the sand, essentially and being like, I'm good. I got a generator. I got my seawall. I got my castle. It's like, yeah, we're going to adopt new technologies, but it's also about adopting things that will mitigate climate change now and also help us be more resilient and help us build community and it just be, I don't know, just like so much stronger to actually solve problems in real time together. Mm, I love it. I feel like that's a really good note to end on. Okay. Heck yeah. Hell yeah. Let's build some community. Let's build some community. As always, uh, I'm Tavi. I'm Susanna. And we are repping Sun Common on the solar spill. If you're in upstate New York, Capital District, or Vermont, uh, we would love to talk to you about going solar for your home or business. So please give us a shout. We're at suncommon.com. As always, looking forward to the next episode. See you next time. See you next time.